many of you have participated in conversations that discuss how white women uphold white supremacy? But if you confronted white women about their racism, most white women would deny that they contribute to the system and the structures that maintain white power and white privilege. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone with Ramona Houston, where we zone in on black and brown relations and our journey to empowering our communities. Well, today's guest, Regina Jackson, has hosted events, written a book, and been the feature of a documentary, all focused on challenging white women to confront their own racism. And more importantly, she encourages white women to use their power to dismantle white supremacy. In our discussion, Regina talks about her work, and she is quite frank about her discussions on or racism with white women. And I can tell you now, if you ever participate in her events, leave your feelings at the door. By the way, for all women in Atlanta, Regina will be hosting one of her Race to Dinner events in Atlanta, and it's also a film scre screening of the documentary, Deconstructing Karen. It will be held on April 12th. See show notes for more information about Regina and how you can participate. Enjoy our conversation, and as always, please subscribe to the Empowerment Zone podcast, we need your support, and we also need you to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. Your support will ensure that we continue our journey in empowerment and impact. The Empowerment Zone is back, and today we are featuring Regina Jackson, who is one of the authors of White Women, Everything You Need to Know About Your Own Racism and How to Do Better. Now, of course, I am excited about having Regina here today because uh, I am um, a social impact strategist focusing on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, and really dismantling um, racist structures which um, uphold white supremacy. And here we're going to have, a, today we're having a conversation uh, with white women, uh, which is very interesting because <clears throat> conversations about race and racism are usually very difficult to have. Most people want to deal with, with racism, but they don't want to talk about it. And so if we're going to dismantle racism and its systemic structures, we're going to have to have conversations. And Regina is one who's initiating these hard conversations uh, through her book, her um, documentary, as well as uh, these uh, events she calls Race to Dinner. So we will hear more about that in our conversation. But I'm excited about Regina being here. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone, Regina. Thank you for having me, Ramona. I'm very excited about this conversation because we know you can't change what you don't acknowledge. Yep. And that acknowledgement is really, really hard. And one of the things that I've found in my conversations with some of my 
clients, groups, is that many ideas about racism, I mean, about race and other groups comes from the home, you know, mm -hmm. and people perpetuate myths and then we embrace them and then we create these structures which are really about power. But before we get into that conversation, I would, I'm curious about your background and your journey to writing this book as well as doing uh, these events, these race to dinner events. Okay. Well, I am not a young woman. I came out of corporate America. I worked in the bell system for 27 years. I retired in 1998. And when I retired, I was an executive director in large bill business and government sales. So, um, you know, for me, I always love sales because you don't have to listen to people's nonsense about your performance. The numbers speak for themselves. And that's what I always loved about sales. Um, so I started a business, a uh, computer training business in uh, disenfranchised neighborhoods. Then I started a real estate company, which I still have. And then in 2019, 2019, Syra and I started Race to Dinner. And that came about because she ran for office. She ran as a against a long-term Democrat incumbent. And Cyrus' whole platform was anti-racism. So as you can imagine, every time she had a speaking engagement and she would talk, white women would line up around the corner. And what they wanted to say to her was, not me. I'm not racist. It's those other white people. So Syra entertained these women, breakfast, lunch, dinner, cocktails, because she was courting votes. I had a friend in the neighborhood, white woman, who said, you know, I'm done with Syra. She hates white people. But if you can set up a lunch. So I go to Syra. I was working on her campaign. And she says, I'm not doing that anymore. But if your friend wants to have a dinner, and invite some of her white lady friends, and you do it with me, I'll do that. So we did a couple of those dinners, and we looked at each other, and we said, you know what, we should start a business. And we should have these white women pay us to come and talk about their racism and how they can do better. So we did that. In the meantime, a film producer in California had been following Syrah, on social media, she contacted us and she said, I want to do a documentary. We looked at each other and kind of chuckled. Oh, yeah. Next thing we know, she's here with a full recording. <laughs> so that's everything has been organic. Every single thing has been organic. And that's how you know you're doing what you're intended to do. So tell us about these, the this your book first. Let's talk about the book. Um, we wrote the book because we had had, you know, we've been doing this for four years. So you can imagine we've had, you know, dozens of dinners all around the country. And the way the dinners are structured, the white women contact us. They can go on our website. They can set up to do a dinner. And we have we have a white woman named Lisa who works for us. And we call her our resident white woman. And the reason is. White people will say things to her that they won't say to us. 
So she's the gatekeeper. And this year, 2023, we've, we're only doing four dinners and they're all sold out. So that's what we're doing going forward. Now we're focusing on documentary and book sales. And the book came about because we had done so many dinners and white women, it was always the same. Syra calls it white woman, the Broadway musical, the hmm. crying, the civil rights resume. I'm not a racist. Um, I don't see color. Just on and on and on. So we decided, let's just write a book, put it out there in the world. White women can use it as a guide to stop the harmful behavior. And my favorite chapter in the book is chapter eight. I'm sorry, chapter seven, where we interviewed women of color all across the country in all different kinds of professions. And the story is all the same. White women wanting to police our behavior, wanting po to police our work, you know, and, and that's why we wrote the book, so that white women can have a guide to stopping the nonsense. Wow. So the race to dinners uh, came first before the book. So, yes. And it inspired the book um, in terms of <clears throat> really providing solutions to white yes. women in terms of dealing with their, their racism. So tell us about what you want people to get out of the book. And, uh, is it, and do you believe that the only audience is white women? No, I think, and we have heard from so many Black, Indigenous, Brown, and other non-white, the book is affirming for women who are non-white. They look at, they read the book and they say, I'm seen, I'm heard, and they are giving it away to their white friends and bosses and everything. And what the book does, it tells white women that these are the things you do that are harmful to us, to Black people. And I think right now, one of the things I always like to talk about is all of our liberation is connected. You know, you can't be free if I'm not free. And I think we are seeing that, number one, with Roe versus Wade, are we not? We're not just losing our bodily autonomy. White women have lost theirs too. And this whole gun nonsense, I talk to white women about guns. I'm like, it's your kids who are shooting up schools, okay? It's white boys who are going in and shooting up schools and killing white kids. How can you not, how can you be indifferent to that, okay? And we know that guns go all the way back to slavery. 25 of the 55 people in the Constitutional uh, Convention were slave owners. Mm -hmm. So they put the Second Amendment in there so that they could always have access to guns to maintain their slaves and stop slave risings. And, you know, we, we ask white women, tell the truth, acknowledge the truth. Once you start acknowledging the truth, then we can move forward. But as long as you want to continue to lie, we know that white people need their guns to protect them from us. We know, and they know we know. So let's stop lying about it and tell the truth. So <clears throat> you want white women to understand how they 
actually operate in this system and how they can challenge uh, the system. The system, yes. <clears throat> and this book is affirming for women, Black women and people of color. So it's actually the audience is wider than just for white women. Right. Right. You know, we we have never had honest conversation in this country about race. Never. We never have. And the only way you can can you imagine being in a relationship and never having conversations about the hard stuff? Hmm. It, it, it's not going to work. So we're trying to start. The, I'm wearing red today because at the Colorado Capitol, we are introducing a bill to ban assault weapons. So mm -hmm. I will be down at the cup. And that's what we are asking white women. Get active, do something. You know, you're posting a black square on Facebook is nothing. That's performative. Get in the streets, protect your children, get rid of, we have more guns than people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're That's yes. a Yes, and it's 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 self-perpetuating <clears throat> because we have all these guns. We're going to keep having gun violence. So you know who is in a position to stop it? And we say to why these are your husbands, your fathers, your uncles, your grandfathers, your sons, your grandsons. Have those conversation with the people who are making these decisions. That's the only way we're going to improve anybody's lives. So they are key. White women are key to stopping racism. So tell me about these race to dinners, you know, um, in my work, in terms of, um, I have this workshop called Sin Fronteras, which in Spanish means uh, without borders. Okay. And in order for people to work together and, and really solve problems that face our society, particularly racism, white supremacy and the various ways it manifests because it's the it's the mothership of all the other isms if you will it's the you know? air the yeah. water the room <laughs> <laughs> so the conversations that you have are people are afraid to express themselves because they don't want to be judged they don't want to be called out they don't want to really deal with the fact of their own ideas and prejudices and racism right. right and so those conversations are ha hard to have and we have to create one thing is we have to create safe spaces yep. so people can ex express themselves and yep. <laughs> so my question is tell me about how these race to dinners help to have <laughs> have help to have these difficult conversations. Well, first of all, the women know that they are coming to talk about race. So the host sets it up. She'll go in with maybe another person. She'll set up and she will invite people in her social network. And that's where it starts. You know, start with people who know you, like you, trust you, and start having these conversations. So we create a safe space. You know, white women love dinners. You go, the table's all set. The Black women do too. I love dinner too. Okay. <laughs> the wine is good. So we're in a space where we like each other. We know each other and we're having good food, good wine and good hard conversations. <laughs> so what I love about it, Syrah always 
will say, I'm anti-Black. She goes, all Asians are. She said, and she's a first generation uh, Indian woman. She said, when we come to this country, we are told to aspire to whiteness, not blackness. Nobody aspires to blackness, okay? She says, so, she said, we are all anti-black. She said, and I have struggled my whole life to get rid of that. And we know, black people, we know every immigrant, including those from the Caribbean and Africa, come here believing themselves to be better than us. And I think that is impacted by slavery. You know, we are all descendants of slavery and they will come and say, well, you know, we don't have that. And I do understand because I've known a lot of people. It's a different mindset. But if you have spent your whole life being beaten down, being treated with, you know, anger and hate and distrust, Yes, you're going it's it's very hard and I spend every day I affirm myself. I affirm myself and I affirm other people when I walk around the city. This is so funny and I see uh black and brown people I'll always say not hello kings, hello queens. And it puts such a big smile on their face. And I love it. My daughter goes, stop it, mom. It's weird. It's weird. And I go, no, I'm not stopping it. And I was telling a lady in the grocery store and she said, you tell your daughter, you made my day. Hmm. I love it. And I love the fact that you shared this story about Syra and her starting off saying, I'm anti-Black. Anti uh, and being a person of Asian descent. Saturday, I was at the Carter Center and there was a documentary screening of a uh, uh, of a film called It's Complicated, mm -hmm. Asians in Black and White America and uh, yep. created by Crystal Kwok. And <clears throat> one of the things she brings out is the anti-racism within the Chinese community. Yep. Why it exists. And we, all communities and cultures have to acknowledge, uh, excuse me, the anti-blackness. Anti-blackness, yes. Anti-blackness and exist in the Chinese community and really starting a conversation about how many communities are anti-black. Yep. And that by her beginning the conversation with that statement, it really shows how white supremacy has impacted all of us in various ways. That yep. all that many communities and cultures distance themselves and it's from black people and aspire to whiteness and what yep. it all rep what it represents. And so uh, I think that's a an interesting way to begin the conversations. But tell me more about, you know, how, what kind of responses are you getting among the white women? Because this is focused on white women, these races. Right. The next question is, and we go around the table, whoever wants to start can start. And we, what have you said, done, or thought within the last month or two that you know to be racist? Mm. Everybody has something. And some people will say, well, I can't think of anything. Or when they 
And we say, okay, we'll come back. And after they hear the other people, they come out of it. And the, the one I heard, and this just sticks with me, and this shows you how ingrained. We were uh, doing a dinner in upstate New York. And one of the hostesses says, uh, I invited my daughter's little friend who had just moved into their condo building, little black girl, seven years old, to spend the night with them. She said she heard something in the middle of the night. And instead of thinking, maybe she needs to know where the bathroom or what, she thought this little black girl is stealing from mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. That's how ingrained mm -hmm. anti-Blackness is. Mm -hmm. A seven-year-old girl, okay? So we go around the table and, and the, everybody talks about, and then we talk about it. We talk about, you know, we've had people say, well, you know, I was in my nail salon, which are mostly Asian-owned, and a white guy was being very uh, rude and, you know, basically inappropriate with one of the nail techs, but they didn't say anything, mm -hmm. you know, and to me, that is the worst to let other people be mistreated for any reason. And you don't speak up. So we talk a lot about that. What's the worst thing that's going to happen to you? If you speak up, you may get your feelings hurt, but did you die? Mm -hmm. You know, that, that is what we want white people to start doing is start speaking up when they see, hear, or say nonsense, mm -hmm. just nonsense. And they know, we all know when we see right and wrong, we know. So we're making a choice. And I talk about this. White people pretend like they don't know. And the reason they do that is once you acknowledge something, you have to make a decision about are you going to change or are you going to stay the same? And it's easier to pretend like you don't know and then you don't have to change because mm -hmm. there is always pain with change. And that's the trap that white supremacy falls into. And that's what we're trying to get white women to see, to acknowledge, you know, this, you know, what's right. Why are you not doing it? What is stopping you from doing it? Yeah, it's so important to call out. <laughs> yep. Uh, events, occurrences when they happen. That's I just call it nonsense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 you know, silence, it, you're complicit when you're silent. Exactly. Exactly. King has a quote about that. Um, yep. It, yep. It something about the oh, well, let me stop because I can't say a million people know that quote. About how you know when good bad things happen when good people remain silent. Yep, and that <clears throat> we have to call out racism always in our, in, in, in always and in always right yep. because yep. we have our own little small group, group of friends that may say some things or may do some things that are inappropriate, but we want to be loved and liked so we don't call it out. We have our families where Thanksgiving dinner, they might say something that is inappropriate. Hey, how, but, but, and then we have our colleagues at work. But one of the things I always say in my workshops, you know, the way you call it out may be different. I might be a little bit I know, excuse me, not I might. I know I'm different with talking to my grandmother 
correct? Yes, yes, yes. Because she's that, yeah, she's my grandmother, and I'm going to call it out, and I'm going to talk to her and say why this is, you know, inappropriate, or you yep. should rethink this, yep. versus how I may call out a good friend, yep. or my sister, or a brother, or colleague. So we we cannot we we have to do our work on an individual and a it's all about level. the individual and white women are socialized to be nice okay we call it what white nice so white what does nice mean that means you don't call out this stuff at the dinner table you don't say you know uncle joe i have a problem that's not okay with me that white nice allows them to not call out stuff that they know they should call out. And they feel it because we talk about it at dinners. I had to tell my 84-year-old aunt at Christmas Eve dinner, she said, I don't like it when those gay people show affection in public. Mm -hmm. I said, mm -hmm. well, how does that harm you? Yeah. She comes up. I said, okay, you don't get to be homophobic in this house. Exactly. In the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So and I'm sure you didn't say it with that tone. You said oh, it. But I mean, yeah. you said it. You know, yeah. you, you said that to your 84-year-old yeah. aunt. Yep. yep. And white nice keeps white women. And we're saying the perfect place to talk about this stuff is at the dinner table. Instead of avoiding it and allowing, you really want your children to hear that stuff and believe that is okay? No. <laughs> no. You have to stop it. You know, and and um, another factor about stopping it, one of the great things about the race to dinners is that you're working with women and women are mothers and we're the first teachers of children, right? So we can create, we give our children these ideas that we have, you know? Exactly. And I know growing up, my mother was adamant about not and my parents, but my mother in particular was adamant about us not using derogatory terms about anybody. That's right. And the way we think about any group of people, but you know, and we couldn't even, if you will, use the N word in, you know, black folks use yeah. that was no, we don't know. We didn't strictly, like yeah, no. yeah, strictly no. prohibited. And so <clears throat> those teachings influence the way I think about other groups of people where I am not, I don't hold certain prejudices that I would have had I not grown up into this environment. So the point I'm making here is that women have the power to change not only themselves, but a whole group of genera generations to come. We all do. As individual human beings, we all have a circle of influence, okay? And that's who you start with. You start with those people who are in your life that you can influence. And you start having honest conversations about racism, about hate, about xenophobia, about homophobia, about transphobia, and keep having those conversations. Don't stop. Keep having those conversations. I, I believe, my personal belief is I am here to live my fullest life, become the human being I'm intended to be, and to help other people do the same thing. Exactly. That's what that, that's what all of us are purpose <laughs> to do, right? We yep. are all purpose to do that. Yep. 
So um, finally, what steps do you recommend? We've got one step is is standing up when 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 people say inappropriate things or do inappropriate things that we've got to call it out. Mm -hmm. What other steps can we take in order to dismantle racism? Because I always not want to not only educate, but also get people to act, right? So give us some key actions that people can use to um, really address uh, racism. And let's talk, let's talk specifically to white women. Um, You know, start a circle. One of the things that white women, and we notice this, white women don't have communities like we have communities. Um, You know, Ramona, when we were growing up and you did something out in the neighborhood, your neighbor was going to call you on it. And then they were going to let your parents know. Okay, Okay, I can give you some good examples of that. I'm from a small town and it's like living in a fishbowl, like my daddy said. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> start building community okay. where you care for each other, where you make it comfortable to have these conversations. Start doing that and keep bringing people in as you meet new people and you say these. are And, and this is what I tell white women, because it's the honest God truth. If you are a white person doing anti-racism work, there's no wins for you. OK, you're going to lose friends. You're going to lose family members. You may lose jobs, okay? But your people are on the other side. And what's also on the other side is your love for self and community and humanity. So that's what I think is important. Keep having the conversations. And we know some people are going to say, you know, I'm done with so-and-so. I'm tired of talking about this. But you're going to find people who share. And we have an online community. We have an online community on Mighty Networks, and it's called Race to Community Connect. And we are active in that space. And we've got women from all over the world where, like, we posted this thing about the Colorado legislature today. So we've got white women. We're all wearing red and we're going down there. You know, get active. Form your communities. Start talking and start making change. It's our responsibility. As human beings, it's our responsibility to create change. And, you know, we say for educators, and I work with it. My mentor, my first mentee is graduating from Beloit College this year. And my second one is graduating from high school and going on to get out there and mentor children, you know, be in their lives, especially Black children, because they are so... Um, what's the word? I don't want to say mistreated. They're not cared for in our public education system. So, you know, we can be the ones who are there for our kids, who love them and show them. I, To me, that was the hardest part of integration. I think our children lost environments where they were loved and cared for and had expectations. These white teachers have no expectations for our kids, none. You know, I always say um, something similar to that, that, you know, it's uh, great to have uh, Black teachers uh, as Black uh, students because Black teachers have 
a high level of expectation for performance. Thank you. And students rise to the level of expectation. That's right. That's if right. If you have high expectations, they'll rise to those high expectations. If you have low, uh, you don't. And it's it's unfortunate that a lot of people uh, don't believe, who are in education, don't believe that that um, uh, students of color have the ability to, right. to accept. And they live up to your expectations. Yeah, you know, kids live up to your expectations. Yeah. I'm writing a proposal now, Ramona, where I am looking at, you know, I feel senior citizens are mo the most unutilized resources in our community. Agreed. Agreed. So, I'm putting together a proposal where we have senior citizens of color in these schools that are predominantly black and Latina so that they can interact with the students and the educators on things like discipline, things like expectations, you know, just being available. So, you know, we'll see how far that gets in Denver and maybe it can. But, you know, I really think our kids need us in our in their schools. They yeah. need to see a face that looks like theirs who wants them. And I go in the schools and I'm high kings, high queens. And I mean, they just light up and I love it. So tell me what impact, when it's all said and done, what impact do you want uh, your book, the documentary and the race to dinners to make in the United States and the world? I want people to start having serious honest conversations about race, about how we're all connected, you know, and how all of our liberation is tied to each other's. If I can't be free, you're not going to be free. So Regina, here on the Empowerment Zone, we are really big. I am really big on uh, supporting students to make sure they're successful in college. So what college or colleges did you attend, your majors and your degrees? Tell us that. And then give us a strategy that you would provide students to ensure that they're successful in college. Um, I attended the University of Denver. Um, my company paid for me to go into the executive MBA program. So I did that. Um, and I would say, first thing you have to do is make sure you have a study group. I don't think I would have passed finance if I did not have a study group. I, as it was, I had to take it twice. But study groups are very important and learning how to study. OK, if you don't know how to study, you're already lost. So those are the those are the two recommendations I would give to students. Learn how to study and get yourself in a study group. Thank you so much for those valuable recommendations. A special thank you to the incredible team of the Empowerment Zone. Terry Gully, theme song, NADWorks, digital support, and of course, our featured guest, 